For those of you uh, who are just joining us uh, for the first time, we're in the midst of a series which, which, is, um, which is called Creating a Culture uh, of Generosity. And whenever I put together a series, I put a lot of prayer into it. And many times the prayer as I'm going through a series is this, God, what do you want me to say, obviously? And sometimes it's like, okay, God, what series do you want me to give? And this isn't really a series that I was planning on giving. Usually I do it in, uh, in January. I kind of like to have a time where we rally at the beginning of the year and, and talk about that. And, and for some reason, I felt the Spirit of God prompting me, and I never really understood why, until Thursday, late Thursday, Thursday, 3 o'clock, 3.30, uh, a box comes in, and I was thinking to myself, I'll take care of it later. But then I opened up the box. And it was from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. Uh, as a church, we support, we financially support the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. They are the ones who advocate for us in evangelical churches. And so they had, um, they had a letter which came in. Um, and there's an, an envelope here. It says, Charity Status at Risk, EFC. Every single one of us, I think we have enough for every person to take one of these envelopes home. So after the service, you're going to get one of these uh, these envelopes because it is of uh, extreme importance. And, and they, they wrote the letter basically saying that um, they always write a letter, but they were concerned that, that there are charitable status for pro-life groups are at risk. The government is intending to no longer provide charity status for any anti-abortion organizations that people, uh, and that people dis, who provide dishonest counseling to women about their rights to, uh, of their, their options. Um, they, so dishonest counseling and anti-abortion organizations also, also for other smaller reasons that are there. And so, so the government is kind of proceeding ahead with something. That's kind of a serious, a serious situation. And so what they're doing is they're asking every person in every church to be informed on it and to act accordingly. And so after the service this morning, could you take... Uh, that and, and read over it and pray over it and, and act accordingly because um, we want to continue to see God move. But it led me, led me to asking a question. So what would happen if our charitable status was taken away? What would happen if something takes place like that? And, and we're living in a society which is becoming less and less Christian, so to speak. What would my response be if I didn't get somewhat of a perk behind. Would I still be generous? And that is kind of the underlying theme of everything that we want to talk about. Because I believe that God is wanting us and is calling us to a new level of generosity. And to be actually radically generous. And I hope that this, this passage, and I really believe that God is wanting to put it here for this particular time. That this is something that will reach you at your core. I'm, I'm hoping this is not one of those sermons or one of those sermon series where you say, well, that was absolutely wonderful. That really, that really moved me. So are we going to go to Swiss Chalet or are we going to go to Wendy's? I hope it doesn't get to that point. I hope this is one, something that sticks in our heart because it is so important to who you are as a Christian. And it's always challenge, challenging when we talk about generosity because the natural inclination, the, the natural current is that it will, it, we will flow against giving. Someone once said this, generosity and giving fights 
the issue of greed and materialism. And the thing is, when it, when it comes to generosity and when it comes to materialism, it's kind, of like, it's kind of like grabbing a live wire. The more juice that you have, the harder it is to let go. And that's kind of the, the way that it is. And, and, and I believe that God is going to be challenging us to go another level when it comes to, to being generous because the way people get reached is through this radical generosity when God moves in our heart and we become generous. And, and generosity goes far beyond the money that you give. I think that the greatest challenges in generosity is not going to be money in the future. It's going to do the, be due to the fact that we are so incredibly busy doing so many things that all of a sudden we stop doing some of the work for the Lord that we do. And we have gotten to a point where we are so individualistic that we never get to know people to the point where we can be generous with them. You know what I mean? Like, I am here. I'll tell you right now, I am here because of the generosity of other people. Being raised in an unsaved home, a non-church home, there were people who went out of the way, parents of my friends and, and, and in other different areas, where people just express generosity. But if all of a sudden we get to a point where we're so individualistic, we never ever have the opportunity for people to be generous to us and for us to be generous to people. That the church will go ahead, but it goes ahead on the shoulders of people who are absolutely surrendered in every way to him. And every time you give, every time you're generous, you become more and more like Jesus. As I was kind of studying this, you know, you want to kind of go through the word of God and you wanted to try and find, um, you know, just things about it. One of the most interesting stories that resonated with me was talking about the pandemic that happened, not just our recent pandemic, but perhaps the ones that were so big that it had threatened our society in general. And in the 1700s and in the 1800s, there was a thing which was called smallpox. And smallpox was so dangerous, particularly in the 1700s, that three-quarters of children who, who um, contracted smallpox died from it. Now, you can imagine if you are a parent... And all of a sudden, your children all of a sudden display the symptoms of smallpox. You would be going crazy because you would think, my child is going to die. So as a result, as soon as they found out that it was in the area, they would, they would isolate their children and they would isolate themselves. And, and, and despite that, the, the disease continued to grow and to grow and to grow. And then all of a sudden, there was a, a doctor. His name was Edward Jenner. And he wanted to eradicate the disease and do what he could to possibly help. And he heard something. He had heard that the milkmaids at that particular time never, ever got smallpox. And he was wondering why. And so as he investigated, he found out that all of the people who were milkmaids, those who were milking the cows, the ladies that were milking the cows, all contracted a thing which was called cowpox. What's the difference between cowpox and smallpox? Well, cowpox are basically a lesser, a weaker version of smallpox, and it was carried by cows. And so what Jenner did is he observed this, and he said, what if? What if we are counterintuitive? What if instead of, what if instead of kind of going away and kind of hiding ourselves, we actually exposed ourselves to the smaller version where people were not dying from it? Sure enough, that's what they did. And all of a sudden, this disease, smallpox, was, was eventually eradicated because of, of this thought. As a matter of fact, he, he termed a word that um, 
that started was the Latin word comes from the Latin word which is cow, which is vaca, and that's why I said we'll have we'll start what's called a vaccine. That's where we get the term. And the thing is, when it comes to generosity, generosity is the vaccine for materialism and greed. That there is this flow in us that wants to kind of keep and hoard and, and hold on to things. And, and the only way that that comes from being an idol in our lives is when we take the vaccine of generosity to be able to give and so that God can free us of, of those things. Now, over the last three weeks, if you haven't been here, there are kind of three essential truths that I kind of had, had gone through. Uh, about it. The one is the, um, if we could show it up here, it's the eternal repercussions, first of all. That in Scripture, it basically talks about the fact that when you give, you don't just give and it just doesn't end at this world, that there are certain things that happen, not only that, but in heaven and in eternity, which, which takes place. It's an important thing. And, and if you notice, and I'll, you'll probably hear me say this more than once, you'll notice in Scripture that the Bible never ever guilts people into giving. Never ever. But what they say is this, you're crazy if you don't. There's some things that take place that makes it crazy. The best investment that you can do is to give. Not only that, it says well, when you do give, it's, it's, it's good to be predetermined when you give. That, you don't, that you, you don't give on determination, you give on predetermination, which basically is this. It's very hard to be generous if all you're doing it is on the spur of the moment. That if you really want to be generous, if you really do want to be generous and hit the levels that, that, that I think God desires, we need to determine beforehand that I'm going to be generous. Otherwise, you won't. There will be other things that get in the way. And the other thing that is, is thing which is called the assumption consumption, which is this. Greed is the assumption that everything I get is for my consumption. And so these are some of the things that, that, that are kind of the, the foundation stones as to as what we have been going on. And so I want to kind of go a, a little bit further. I'll just say this, I have ne never ever met any person who does not consider themselves generous. Is there any ungenerous people here? Any selfish people? Put up your hand. I'm sure that you wouldn't. You read the Christmas story, right, and say, hey, I identify with Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge. That's me. Ebenezer is me. No, nobody says that. The other thing is this, that there isn't anyone that I have met who hasn't wanted to be more generous that we're continually a work in progress. And I believe that everyone desires to be generous, whether you come to church or whether you don't go to church at all or whatever, because we're all created in the image of God. And I believe that that is part of, of the image of God that comes through in us, uh, for sure. Um, but when a person does decide to give Jesus their life, I think generosity takes on a new dimension. And if we could talk about this, I want to discuss that. And um, I, I want to take a look at what Jesus said. We looked at other passages of Scripture. What happened in the Church of Corinth, and, and he, he gives, Paul gives a letter to Timothy and talks about it. But what exactly did Jesus say? And not only did, what, else, what other did Jesus say, how did Jesus act? What were the stories that he had given? The lessons that he taught on? And, and what about generosity and what he had? And, and, and the idea is this. If you can take a look at what Jesus said about generosity, it will change you. This isn't, this, isn't a, this isn't a ploy by the church to say, oh, we've got to try and get people to give more. It's not that. I don't think it's a campaign in any way, and we appreciate people that do give. But ultimately, the reason that you do give is that it will affect you. 
in many different ways, in more ways than you think. It goes beyond the fact that when you give, good things take place, like you reap what you sow. And that, that passage in, in Proverbs which says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. These promises, these things that are actually in the Bible that talk about it. But there's something that happens at a soul level. There's something inside of us that takes place. Something that happens in, inside of us. There's an eternal effect. There is a depth. I put it down this way. Generosity ultimately increases your capacity. And this is what Jesus gets at when we talk. So if we could talk about that, the importance of giving, that it should be part of the Christian's DNA. And if there's a chromosome that you have and your DNA is off and you don't have that chromosome, you get sick. I think that that's kind of the thing that happens when it comes to generosity. That it's something that applies to the health of us as, as believers. So what I did is, if you have a few minutes... I put it in the form of factors. And if you can observe these factors and understand them, you will understand a little bit more at a soul depth level about generosity. Can we do that? First thing is I'll call it the motivation factor. That there is the, the motivating factor that generosity starts not with your wallet, not with your feet. Generosity starts with your heart. Not just most of the time, all of the time. The most famous passage in Scripture, John 3, 16, tells us that. For God so loved that he gave. A couple of weeks ago I said this. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And if we can get ourselves to the point where we realize that the measurement is from our heart, then it will change the person that you are. One passage I wrote down there was Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 to 21, the Sermon on the Mountain. And Jesus says this, a very popular passage. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, you kind of said that already, Pastor Mike. You only told us about the eternal effect. But this is not just talking about the eternal effect. Because the last verse says this, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be as well. That ultimately what Jesus is saying is if you want to be a truly generous person, it begins in your heart. And if you learn anything and if you take anything away from what I have to say, it is that. That the challenge is this, God have my heart. Because if you got my heart, then generosity will naturally come. It comes from the heart and it restores the hope and it becomes a habit and God moves. Motivation factor. The other, the other um, factor uh, is, is what I call, is not the motivation factor, but it's called the privacy factor. Again, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and for those of you who are fans of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll say this, perhaps you haven't realized this. We are kind of thought, are led to believe that the Sermon on the Mount was this something that Jesus said one time. I don't think so. I think this was Jesus' go-to sermon. I think every town he probably preached this, this sermon. One of the things he says to combat what was happening with the Pharisees was this. He says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't lose your reward by blabbing about it. A generous person, a generous person doesn't care if anyone else knows about it. It's an important thing to understand that there's a level of humility. There's an element, an element of the fact that says, if I give, 
I don't need the glory. The glory needs to go to Jesus. The privacy factor. After that, there's, there's some interesting things that Jesus says. There's one which is called the, the shrewd um, steward factor. And this comes from the fact that Jesus tells lots of stories. One of them is in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. And basically what he is talking about is a guy who, as he's going along, finds something really valuable. In one instance, it is a pearl of great price. In the other instance, it's this guy who's kind of traveling through the field, and he kind of stumbles, and I don't know exactly. It doesn't tell us how it happens. He just kind of stumbles down and finds this great big treasure in the field. So what he does is he sells, goes and sells absolutely everything he has. And then it says, if you look at the passage, he gladly, he goes with joy and does this. And all of a sudden, he has this huge, this, this huge treasure that there's something about the kingdom of God, which is valuable to us. But then he goes on in Matthew chapter 5, a couple of verses afterwards, and he says, he has this story about a king, and he kind of goes away, and as he's going away, he gives certain talents. Talents at that time was money, but it could refer to anything, really. He gives one person five talents, another person three talents, and the other person one talent. He says, going to go away, invest the money accordingly, and when he comes back, for the, all of us who know the story, the guy who had five talents, the guy or the guy or girl who had three talents, they all did well. But it was the one person who said, I'm just going to bury my talent, where the king says, look it, you could have just invested it in other things, and he casts him out. What does that say to us? Or what does that say to you about investing and be, being generous? And, and, and Matthew's parables have a lot to say about them. But it's Luke's parables. They go a little bit deeper and they cut a little bit deeper. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. And it's a parable which is called the rich fool. Okay, what's this about? Well, it's about a, guy, a story of a guy who seems to touch everything and it turns to gold. Have you ever met people like that? It just seems that everything that they do, they get rich by it. This was that gentleman. And so this year he had a crop, and the crop was wonderful, and it was so wonderful that he didn't have enough room for it. And so what he says, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with all this money? Well, poor guy, I need to pray for you, for you, know, for you to be able to do something with all this money that you have, right? You know, you, you begin to not feel so sorry about this guy. But what he does is says this, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to make bigger barns. And the people at that time who are listening to the story are saying, this is a good story. It teaches us about saving. And in a second, Jesus tosses the, the story on its, up, on its other end and says, he says, all of a sudden God said, you fool. How can you be so stupid to do that? What do you mean be so stupid? I'm doing the right thing. He says, today your life is going to be required of you. You can't eat, sleep, and be merry because you are going to die. You have hoarded up all this money for a time and you've never ever utilized. You have made the assumption that this is all for your consumption. And what has happened is you have left it all behind. And what Jesus is actually saying, as, he, as you look deeper into the thing, he says this. He said, he said this is... This is what's going to happen for those people 
who are not rich in God. He uses that term. You're going to be rich in God. You have this, and God has given it to you. The worst thing that you can do is put it in a bank and not allow it to be used. You just lose the opportunity to be rich in God. It's an incredible story. Then all of a sudden, he goes four chapters later. Luke all of a sudden brings out another story that, that Jesus tells, and it is probably one of the most difficult to understand. We don't comprehend it. People have misinterpreted it. It's called the shrewd manager, and it starts like this. A rich guy has a person who is managing his affairs, and he says, you're not doing a good job. You're not handling the money well. So put your affairs in order because you are going to be fired. Okay? So what this individual does, he says, I am too old to dig ditches, and I am too proud to beg. So I better do something right away to make sure that I'm taken care of in the future. And so what he says is, you know what I'm going to do? The people that I do business with, I'm going to make them love me so much that when I do get fired, they're going to invite me into their house. So he says to the one person, how much do you owe? 900 gallons of oil. I'll tell you what, right now, today, today only, you write down the check right now, write it out for 450, 50% off deal right now. Wow, this is wonderful. You're a great guy. Signs the check. Hands off the oil. What's the guy, another person had? We had a thousand bushels a week. Hey, write down a check right now for eight hundred dollars. And so what happens is, as the story goes on, the king who was over him said, "Hey, you're pretty shrewd." And this always has bothered me because this guy really didn't seem to be a very good guy. Didn't seem like he managed things well. Almost seems like maybe he stole things or whatever. He was being fired for some reason. So that mean God that I'm supposed to be dishonest with everything? No. What he is basically saying is this, that you need to be smart with the money because if you're smart with the money, then God can do things not only in your life now, but in all of eternity. And that's why, that's why Jesus goes on to say right after that, he says, if you can't be, if you can't be faithful with the small, how are you going to be faithful when it comes, and it says this term, with true riches, with the real things that matter, 